0: wrote about my last book. And it's all about wait, way practice patience, persistence and perspective snowboarding gave me so much I got to see the world. We did return of the shred eye. We did other fun stuff too, like uh, Trump's White House Casino. Snowboarding doesn't owe me anything. I owe it everything. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Um, I, I
1: really appreciate it. I think we've, we've talked briefly on LinkedIn. And then I think we we're exchanging voice messages. And you just got me really intrigued. And I really wanted to sort of get you on the pod and sort of dig deeper into your story.
2: Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, it's a fun story. I've, I guess I've lived a lot of life, as some people say.
1: That is beautiful. I guess, Jeff, for me in the audience, could you tell us a bit about yourself, what you're currently working on, and then maybe a bit about your story and based on what you share, I'll probably dig deeper on what sort of intrigues me.
2: Yeah, yeah, sounds good. So I'm Jeff, the Dreadneck the Lavin. Um, I'm you know pro snowboarder to private equity. Um, I kind of have some humble roots. Um, I grew up well. It all started with uh, two amazing kids met on the hill, uh, my mom and dad in 1970s, mid 70s. And then they got hitched in 1976. Um, And then uh, a couple of years later, um, winter park, spring break, um, I just happened to happen. Um and then I was born on the winter solstice um 1221. Uh, so it's kind of one of those things and humble roots. Um, you know, I'm an eighth generation farmer from beautiful state in Wisconsin. And to become a pro snowboarder or pro, you know, anything snow sports there, it's kind of it's challenging because we have hills. Um, uh, you know, to go from the, the do tour to I started out riding on garbage dumps uh, that had chairlifts with Mountain Dew bottles that were probably buried beneath them. Uh, So it's kind of some humble roots there. Um, So yeah, um, started skiing when I was like two and a half or so. Grew up hunting, fishing, all that on our family's land. We had a thousand acres and then 500 were reserved for preserve. Um, So a lot of stuff was farm to table and just kind of a really cool life. Um, my dad's side, they're all uh, engineers going back, like, I think at least four generations. Um, and then um, my cousin's a naval architect, my dad's a mechanical engineer. Um, I'm not really an engineer, but I did design some snowboards and got some patents and I can run some CAD software, like SolidWorks and, and stuff like that. Uh, my mom's side, they're brilliant entrepreneurs. Um, my grandmother's side, uh, my grandmother was the CFO for Lava Lamp. And uh, her brother uh, wrote the book on economics one-on-one and was a professor at UCLA. And then my grandfather had the Venetian blind contracts for the Sears Tower and Hancock buildings in Chicago. And my great uncle had patents for the pole strings and Venetian blinds. And then believe it or not, um, these things you see right here, he had the patent for that for 20 years. So kind of grew up early, um, just experiencing how to You know, I had a lot of help and push for my family, but not financially. It was more guidance of how to make your money uh, work for you. And I was educated with that at a very, very, very early age. Um, You know, at about fourth or fifth grade, um, especially when you're like, hey, I want this, you know. Um, Originally, they're like, yeah, go make the the money and you can have it. Uh, Some of my early entrepreneur endeavors were, not just doing like lemonade stands, but hooking up all the kids around the neighborhoods with lemonade supply chain stuff. Um, they needed sugar. They needed lemons. They needed to concentrate and stuff like that. And I was the guy riding around, you know, finding those kids that were like three, four years younger, you know, where I'd get, I'd go to the baseball, uh, one of the card stores at the collectible stores and buy a whole bunch of baseball cards, like a big old box of it. Sell them individually, like when I wanted to get games and stuff like that. And sometimes we'd go through them and, Try and find the cool cards and flip those cards out for stuff. So I think I've been, I was kind of like one of those kids that was just born to be an entrepreneur. And it's, uh, you know, so I look back, I've always been the visionary leader. Um, And then just working and connecting with the visionary integrators. And because I mean, I'm the worst, I'm the world's worst employee and I'm the world's worst doer, but if I can, I have visions and stuff like that. I'm really good at, um, just uh, describing those visions and bringing those to fruition with people in my team, the visionary integrators, so the people that can almost do the things that I can imagine, but a way bigger, expanded level of it. Um, and then we have our integrators, where they're just amazing people, um, and I love motivating them. And then having the skill set of being a really fast, rapid learner, and then instantly deploying that by teaching it, um, and just knowing those skill sets of where I've been. Um, you know, and a lot of people are, you know, they want to be the CEO or captain of uh, the ship, uh, which I've been the, I've been the CEO. I've taken three exits. Um, I exited one company that was a database. Um, I kind of had back-to-back ACL surgeries, um, uh, didn't blow them out at the same time when I was snowboarding. I went back and I studied a little bit of kines, but no intentions of ever using that to forward or better my life. It was just the full purpose of how to become a better athlete. Uh, but around that time, I said, hey, it was 2006, seven. I said, I should learn how to make some online money. You know, like I'll I'll take my website and turn it into a database. So started adding cool stuff of like all the areas I like to go, ski, snowboard, all the areas, um, you know, all the, the gas stops and stuff like that, where you could eat stuff, drink, saprays. Um, you know, a few spots are kind of like off the map, like hidden hot springs and stuff, um, just kind of posting there. And then we started adding lift tickets Then um, a few of my other friends. Um, you know, we were out for like Oakley and sun and fuel and monster and stuff like that. Um, so we added other disciplines too, like, um, snow, skate, surf and moto. We kind of expanded into that, um, just all the cool spots. And then as I was getting ready to go back to snowboarding, um, there was a profile out there kind of free Facebook, um, where they're creating action sports based profiles and communities. And they said, Hey, we'd like to buy that. And they made me an offer. I didn't retain equity. You know, I didn't do any, I didn't negotiate it, just being kind of like 25, 26. And I said, sure, I want to get out of this. I don't, I, I don't want to have to like learn how to scale or be a businessman. You know, like it's not the right time. I want to go back to snowboarding. Then as soon as I, um, as soon as I exited uh, my snowboard career, I did it about for another like three, four or five years, um, had an amazing comeback. Um, It was amazing. And then around 2011, I hung it up. Uh, My board sponsor at the time offered me a one-year contract, which is pretty much that's, Hey, we're going to push you out to the pasture, And you know, you're going to train the younger guys while you're here. Uh, I just said, nah, I'm good. I think I'm going to make my own board. Um, They, you know, lovingly, they kind of like laughed. And I said, I'm going to invent some cool technology and I'll be gunning for you guys in five years. Then they really laughed. Um, But that kind of stuff just absolutely fuels me when people say you can't. Um, people said that about doing stuff like the backside double cork that nobody had ever landed. That's impossible. You can't do that. Those are circus tricks. No way, man. It's just proving what's fully totally impossible is possible. It's just I am in front of it and going back an ordinary uh, to become extraordinary. So yeah, um, you know, within five years, we had some amazing patented technology. Um, we had several factories abroad um, then we also spun that off into um, this is something I would never recommend anybody doing with what I know now. I was just insanely driven and wanted to fund it. At the time, we didn't have uh, the SBA funding, stuff like that available um, to us, just kind of the administration, the way it sat. Um, there was third regulations. Um, we have long, um, with snowboard brands and stuff like that, there's long uh, aging account receivables for net terms. Typically, you're seeing like 90 to 120 days. So I said, what can we do to further fund ourselves? Um, So we spun that off into import-export into several subcategories because a lot of people are coming to us saying, hey, can we do collabs? Hey, can you help us with merch? Um, We were really good at supply chain procurement. We were amazing at quality control. We were amazing at product development. Um, We were amazing at logistical algorithms and then intellectual property. Um, Then around 2018, Um, you know, just with all the the tariffs and everything like that, I had a chance to exit a few of those items to uh, 3PL. And I took that exit um, happily because I used to go to Asia Pacific uh, around once a quarter for about two to three weeks. And uh, people are like, you're so lucky you get to go to China. And I'm like, no, Uh, don't get me wrong. There's amazing people everywhere. And I always loved going to Taiwan and Hong Kong, but China's one of those places you go um, if you have business. It's not, it's just not a good place uh, to be a tourist. Um, It's just a little backwards and there's stuff that you'll never, ever understand. Um, So, yeah, I was able to move on with that. Um, Still do a little licensing with intellectual property um, with pads and whatnot. Um, Then there's another company, a French based tech company. Um, we were able to help them with marketing um specifically and help them grow in the United States. Um, 2020 came around. Um, they had a chance to take a little bit different exit um where they're acquired by a government. So um works out for um kind of worked out for everyone just with kind of the uncertainty and stuff like that. Um so these days now I'm doing more stuff in mergers and acquisitions and private equity. Um, equity consultations and then I sit on a few advisory boards and board of directors so it's kind of a lot and I've written a couple books I'm working on another one Um, you know Andy it's just people say how do you do all these things nothing ever replaces being an athlete um, because you live breathe eat sleep dream it and that's your whole life this is kind of the only thing that comes close and while it's been fun Uh, being kind of captains of the ships and stuff like that. Now I see myself in a different role where I'm not the captain. Um, We have a bunch of captains and I'm the commander of the entire Pacific fleet. That's
1: such an amazing freaking journey. So you stopped snowboarding. What year was that in where they sort of gave you that one year contract?
0: That was 2011, right towards the end of it. And God, I was like 29 and my body was just beat it hurt to get out of bed, hurt to get out of chairs and stuff like that. And when you have so many days where, I mean, snowboarding seasons um, for, you know, somebody that's sponsored or pro or um, whatever, those seasons go for 300 days a year. So, and you're going all over the place in the old shake can. Um, That's what uh, we call planes, just because you you shake around and we kind of joked about a you know maybe you don't even move like maybe they just put they change the set and you're like hey you're in the french alps from tahoe (laughs) that's always kind of yeah and
1: so you're snowboarding for your whole life and when you finished in 2011 were you starting off with nothing when it came to business do you start from zero
0: so uh, yeah i started from zero i just said i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this and i jumped in head first but that's kind of that's just kind of how I roll. That's my life motto. Um, you know, embrace, embrace the risk and send it, um, two words. will just totally change your perspective of life, send it and you'll figure it out along the way. And I figured I could go back to school. I could do, you know, work for somebody, get, get in the industry or something like that. But no, man, it's all about embracing your, your the risk, unleashing your potential and just sending it and just going for it. Because even if you, you know, the word fail, it's the word I don't use. Even if you come up short, you're still going to come up with more to gain and you're still going to come up with way more with that experience. There is no such thing as success and failure. In my mind, it's just really, you get, you get a lesson either, you know, you're going to learn. And you're going to change that up and adjust from it and react and respond and drive that forward. So the next time you're going to have success, or maybe it's not the next time, maybe it's like three, four, five, six years down the road, but it's just that whole, the whole attitude of just not giving up. Um, there's four, four Ps that I always said, um, you know, as an athlete, and I kind of wrote, wrote about in my last book where I said, it's all about the patience. It's all about the persistence. It's all about the perspective. And it's all about the way practice, patience, persistence, and perspective. So it's all about, you know, getting those reps and constantly being in the doing stage. Um, The patience, um, because it's not going to happen the first time. Sometimes you get lucky. Uh, The persistence to keep on going. And then the perspective um, of having, you know, a coach, a mentor, or somebody from the outside looking in that can kind of see it and give you that feedback
1: interesting and was your first company just building snowboards and inventing different snowboards
0: yeah yeah that was my first company that was uh i said i'm gonna make snowboards it's what i loved it's what i love doing um because um just snowboarding gave me so much i got to see the world um, with my snowboard and i looked at it as man snowboarding doesn't owe me anything i owed and to give back you know and to create a you know we had we had the big four C's um you know like where we had our uh, our causes um like cancer um our friend uh friend and team manager um he was kind of going through a you know battle and you know we were able to help him um just with you know as with whatever we could and encouragement and stuff like that ultimately he didn't um well he didn't lose um it was more of a draw um you know and then just being able to, you know, be there, um, for everyone afterwards, um, was amazing. And then, you know, other stuff too, like suicide awareness, um, warning for breast cancer, um, our cause is united people. So it kind of created community on its own, um, you know, like bringing people together and linking people up, um, you know, and then our, uh, creativity, um, just cause we did we brought more stuff back here to the United States um, for manufacturing after having some stuff abroad um, in Asia Pacific um, and as well as Europe um, and Canada. Um, We were able to bring some stuff back to Reno Tahoe. Um, So we're really really able to like just invent and just uh, switch ups and stuff like that. And then our customers, we always get back to our customers, but that was kind of one of those things where um, love that brand, uh, but 2020 kind of had its own plans. Um, but in the, the grand scheme of thing uh in the grand scheme of things, you know, that was an awesome 10-year run um with that company, with that that brand. Um I learned so much about businesses, about systems, about processes. Uh you know, I look at everything with um, you know, you take down your business. Um underneath you need a financial foundation because cash flow is it's the blood, it's the the heart and soul of every business. Um so with that. Um, you know, that allows you to create outside diversifications and stuff like that. So I take a formula risk mitigation, um, data sets like ICP data, um, that you can get off the Nasdaq um, to historical disaster management, and then I'll create diversifications for that. The reason I believe that every dollar, um, uh, that you make should at least turn into five before you spend $2 back into marketing, and you put $3 back into the business to do that quadrant again. And then that further funds the business or so you're, you're um, you don't have to scale uh, vertically it's more important to hedge yourself horizontally um, just to protect that and then you know in the big four I look at you have your marketing you know if you picture like this whole square here um, we got marketing in the upper left hand corner um, I could go into a whole conversation about marketing I love nerding on about marketing but that's your that's everything with your branding and your storytelling and your messaging and getting that so on point, and so tight, um, where people just feel it and they're moved by it and they want to join you. And then you take that and you amplify that into as much earned media as you can, um, PR and stuff like that, podcasts, articles, um, you know, even TV features, whatever it takes. Um, and taking that and rolling that into your growth strategy, so front end stuff like SEO um, to paid traffic, organic traffic, um, you know, then into your back-end conversions once you get them. Um, and then that's, you're going to get metrics from that and you're scaling. Um, then there's your sales process where um, sometimes some businesses have setters closers or you have sales reps or, you know, the sales process that's happening once you kind of have that, that process passed back um, from the marketing side. Um, then there's your fulfillment side where, you know, there's service-based businesses out there. That's kind of, a little bit more of my focus, um, these days, um, uh, just because product based there's so much that goes into that. That's like, that's a whole seminar. And I could talk about that, um, for days, you know, with, uh, producing tangibles. Uh, but there's your whole fulfillment side, um, with that. So whether that's you or teams or, you know, however that looks, and then there's your admin side with, um, HR to like legalities and stuff like that, or a general counsel, but. Once you're able to take uh, businesses apart and look at everything as a whole, you can really go in and take a look at, um, you know, three big questions of what's working, what's converting, what's not working, why isn't it working, you know, based on the metrics and the data sets. And then what are we missing out on? Um, You can kind of go ask that along every section. And it's kind of, it's fun to go down those rabbit holes and fix those bottlenecks too, um, especially with. Um, you know, companies or with uh, top leaders like CEOs and stuff like that, just because they're so, they're so in it and they're so in the moment. Um, they just don't have that outside perspective. So it's super fun to offer that outside perspective and kind of be more or less the the coach from the outside looking in or, you know, the, as I call it, the commander of the Pacific fleet, um, you know, the the admiral and saying, yeah, we're going to move this here, move that there, just playing, it's so playing a giant game of chess.
1: Got it, Jeff. So you went ahead and you put up the board in 2011. You went ahead and designed a few different designs for new boards. I guess you went ahead and went to China to get it manufactured. Now you went ahead and probably covered the MOQ with the money you've saved up. Now you maybe have a few hundreds, a few thousand of these boards What did you do next? Did you ship it back to America? Did you sell it directly to sort of retail stores? Was it direct to consumer through
0: e-com? Yeah. um, So there was a a bit of a hybrid model. Um, Originally, we started out as uh, retailers. Um, We worked with our specialty retailers um, early on because this is 2011 before e-com was kind of starting to pick up. Um, It wasn't totally there yet Uh, around 2014, 15. Uh, definitely 2016, we kind of switched the hybrid model. So, uh, we warehoused, um, some stuff and then we kind of, um, we were able to send a lot of the credit, like based on where people would buy it from, they'd buy it through a specialty retailer or within the proximity of the specialty retailer, we'd give the retailer a kickback, um, no matter what, um, just to take care of our shops and stuff. Um, and then, you know, you have lots of boards and stuff like that. Um, That equals, you don't wanna, you gotta watch out for, um, sometimes you do have to do it, you have to use air freight. That gets really expensive, really quick. Uh, Sometimes it's more than flying a human, Uh, you know, when you get 50 to 100 boards, uh, believe it or not. But there's another thing out there called uh, LCL, like less than container load. Um, So we do a lot of that. And it just requires like a long timetable of planning from your sales and your pre-orders. It's an entire year sales cycle, uh, especially like when you worked with uh, especially retailers. As we kind of shifted more towards a hybrid uh, model, um, the reason why we did bring some manufacturing back to the U.S. Um, as well as you know focused on Canada was so we could focus on more of a on-demand production. So as stuff came in, um, we had stuff waiting, and then we could essentially put that together um, with the materials that we had. With it. So there's no right or wrong way to do a, you know, kind of a tangible product uh, brand. It just requires a lot of thought process and you have to solve those fulfillment bottlenecks um, early on rather than worrying about, you know, the marketing and stuff like that. Um, once you have your fulfillment kind of short, short up, then you have to start thinking about, well, it's kind of at the same time too, but you have to start thinking about the marketing and you know, how that all looks too. So there is so many moving parts within that business.
1: Interesting. What was the very first product that you went ahead and designed, manufactured and patented?
0: So that was, uh, so that was a snowboard. Um, here's the thing. I said, I love saying these things and I love coming up with these ideas and having kind of a plan. I said, we're going to make the lightest, best performing board on the market. Um, Kind of love attraction, right? Uh, right as I was kind of saying that and thinking that in that mindset of, hey, I'm going to change the world, there was a manufacturer, a composite manufacturer out there that I got connected with through um, our rep in the Rockies. He went to the surf expo and he said, hey, you should check out this brand um, called the Negra. Um, and they did a high density polypropylene composite where most snowboards are made out of fiberglass um, fiberglass consists of, well, on the lighter side, 16 ounces, 18 ounces. And there's two layers of that in that sandwich construction, we are able to get our composite layers down to 7.6 ounces. Wow. So, and still retain the performance on it so and uh additionally too anytime you put anything into like a full failure situation it still retained its structural integrity so we had higher tensile strength higher yields um and then we kind of realized that we were onto something don't get me wrong there was a lot of a lot of uh you know kind of failures like if you ever watched the right stuff um, when they're launching the mercury um you know some of the test rockets and stuff like that or if you look at uh, SpaceX and some of their tests and stuff like that where it went wrong. Um, there's probably a lot of that. So we had a lot of those too. Um, but we focused on getting it right. Um, so it took about, you know, a year or so of development, um, and testing to kind of come up with that MVP. Um, once we had that, um, we went forward with, uh, the patented, uh, patented the process and went for the utility patent with that, um, just because it was, uh, it was a game changer. Um, It was, you know, and being a, well, I mean, a middle-aged guy then, you know, but kind of a, I guess, once you kind of hit your 30s, you're kind of considered a grandpa in snowboarding. And I won't even talk to you about 40s. There's some guys out there still shredding kind of like in their 50s, but you're kind of considered old. And, you know, it's a a young man's sport. It takes a toll on your your body and stuff like that. But this board, it was like having... Uh, The cheat codes entered, um, like when you did the up, down, left, right, over, A, B, A, C, A, B, B. I'm kind of age dating myself here. I think that was Mortal Kombat uh, blood code. But you type that in and all of a sudden, boom, you get all these cool features. So it kind of felt like that with uh, riding the snowboarders. Lighter, um, you didn't feel it on your body as much at the end of the day. And you could like hop so high. Uh, It was just kind of effortless. Um, where if, uh, you know, I almost wondered if, uh, you know, Olympics or, you know, like some of those other, you know, sanctioning bodies would say, you can't use these boards because it just gives you, gives you the edge.
1: Interesting. So did you end up, so the person you partnered up with, were they already a manufacturer that was already producing boards and you sort of partnered up with them and you worked
0: with them over a period of a year to design this new board? So um originally um we made all the snowboards ourselves, which wouldn't recommend doing that. <laughs> Lots of sleepless nights and uh, you know, just entrepreneurship one oh one. Um always, you know, a lot of snowboard uh brands out there, that's why their brands are not manufacturers as well too. They don't make their own boards. Um, They focus on the marketing and sales part and they show up the fulfillment. So yeah, we did have, we had several manufacturers that we worked with um, to have this. And I'm a big proponent of having your tier one, tier two and tier three um, with what in supply chain, manufacturing and everything. Every single supply has your primary, secondary and then kind of like your third string. And you got to look at that from, even from uh, like a team standpoint, Standpoint of view too, like you know the NFL, um, you have your primary quarterback, um, your starter, your backup, and then your th- your third stringer, um, and that's just in case anything goes wrong. But also when you're in R and D process, you can kind of develop stuff a little bit quicker, and it uh, keeps those guys a little bit more hungry, um, especially when you don't you don't own that fulfillment side interesting so you went ahead and spent a year just
1: self-making these boards self-testing them and then i guess you got it patented then you just sort of gave the formula to these manufacturers to mass produce
0: right right i mean there was a little bit of a little bit of sampling and r&d and stuff like that before we mass produced it so we didn't just go full on like we had to make sure that they could do it right and there was a few trips over there to multiple factories and you know kind of doing the tech clinics and everything like that of you know drawing on a whiteboard and stuff like that and uh, just finding you know showing CAD programs and stuff everything that you could do to kind of break through the language barriers uh, you know with uh, schematics and designs and stuff like that the one thing that's universal um, that everybody understands is equations and numbers um, you could create a whole language just based off equations and numbers and we could all kind of communicate that way interesting and how did you go from like a
1: pro snowboarder to learning how to make a freaking snowboard from scratch and design oh, it and right. build cat cap programs and, and all those
0: things. That's just the hunger of, you know, how do you go to being a pro snowboarder and doing all these tricks um, or like learning the skill set? It's the hunger to learn, it's the drive. And that was at the time, that's kind of what replaced that drive where it was the constant drive to, to learn, to achieve, to master and to, to, to teach and to share. Um, nothing will, you know, like I said, nothing will ever replace being an athlete, but there's things out there that, um, do replace it. And those things were, um, it was just the, just the want and the desire, um, to keep on progressing, um, as a brand and as an entrepreneur. Interesting.
1: So you went ahead and, finished the design after a year of testing and sampling, how big was your first MOQ? How how big was your first order of these boards that you invented yourself over the last year?
0: We ran some samples. Um, You know, we started with small batch sampling. So that's small batch is typically like 250 to 500. We got those, you know, small batch, and then you got to get those out. Um, to a bunch of people, get in the trade shows. So you got to be everything you're designing is for the next calendar year. And then from there, um, we were doing uh, five to ten thousand was typically like our MOQs uh, with the factories. So you got to find ways to fill in those gaps and figure out what works. And um, sometimes you're putting out prototypes there uh, where people are people are excited about it. And sometimes you're not, um, you just have to really put your ego in check because some things that you put all your love in, um, you know, they're not going to go as far as you'd ideally want, but then other times the things you absolutely think have no chance in doing anything, um, those could be your best selling products. So you kind of have to step away and, uh, you know, do an ego check with yourself is kind of like what I found. Um, you know, as we you're growing. Interesting. How many
1: batches of these small sample sizes of, you know, 150 to 250, did you make until you got to a version that you'll comfortably mass produce?
0: Typically, you're gonna do like one or two of those um, before you go into like mass production. You'll go into your small batch samples. Um, sometimes that's 50 to 100. And then you're gonna wanna go out and break them and then even do destructive testing. With a number of them. Um, and that's also for your own knowledge and your own parade. Just you can use that for marketing and stuff like that, putting it and comparing it with a normal board. But then also because you're changing up stuff and materials, um, that's also for your insurance purpose too, because um, they're going to want to see that with your errors and missions and some of those numbers. And then the rest, you're going to get those out to kind of, you know, I guess they call everything else out there in the world, like your influencers, kind of like your, your, your primary circle. Um, you know, then once you kind of have that out there, you get some feedback, um, you can adjust it in the next round. Um, So it's usually one to two rounds before of prototyping, before you get into the the full production.
1: Damn, okay. And so you spent a year just testing, then you went ahead and invested into two batches of sample, that's already like 300 units probably. And then you invested another, a bunch of money to then create 10,000 units how did you fund this whole process
0: that was uh that was orders you know like once we had orders we were good mm. you know and the orders covered uh, a lot of the captured costs and stuff like that too uh, because we built our sampling um you know both rounds into the captured cost with the orders um you know and there was there's a little bit of capital that had to come out uh, but also that's that was the the whole point of building kind of a supply chain import export business because that would further fund the brand um the brand uh the the whole purpose or the whole um exit strategy um, with anything any business you build you should always have an exit strategy because nobody's getting out of here alive um, unless somebody has that equation or that solution i'd like to know about it but otherwise you're always got to be like thinking about your exit and building backwards um, so the, the plan was to take the brand to critical mass and get rolled up with one of the bigger ones, like, uh, you know, K2 or, um, one of those or Rajgnal or license out the intellectual property. Um, I'd rather, I, you know, at this point, I'd rather make like 10 or $20 on a unit with none of my efforts and everybody else's efforts.
1: Makes sense. And with the two batches of samples and going to trade shows meeting with retails, what was your process on locking in a bunch of crun- contracts with all these retailers to buy all your stock before you've made it as this sort of new sort of manufacturer? How did you lock down all these contracts?
0: So that's, there's trade show month, um, which is January to February. And it's pretty much all the trade shows are back to back. Well, I mean, you do have the regional ones and stuff like that, too. Um, so we did focus on a bit of the regional ones, but then you have your your national and your international ones. So you have, you have the SIA, Snow Sports Industry of America, um, Outdoor Retailer, uh, there's ISPO in Munich, Germany, and then there was uh, Inner Snow in Japan. So you're pretty much not sleeping for an entire month, uh, working 80, I don't know, how many hours there are in a week, uh, just eating, living, breathing it. Uh, connecting with a lot of the specialty retailers out there, um, getting it in front of as many people as you can. Um, it was, uh, yeah, we we'd focus hard on those trade shows, and then we focused on our our follow up and stuff like that too, and then just um, really providing good good service and stuff like that for all the you know all the specialty retailers and all our customers out there um, as well. Interesting. So you'd be talking to all these sort of retailers and sort of trying
1: to get deposits, get contracts signed and and sort of that would then help you fund your MOQ. How long did it take you to produce the ten thousand units to then ship it back to the retail? Like how long was it from signing the paper to them getting the stock?
0: Yeah, your uh um uh, typically your your orders are they're done by like March, uh, March and April. Um then uh then you're sending out your production orders um, and all that with your factories. That's usually depending, Um, that's happening in the summer. So July, August, September, and then ideally um, your ship date, um, everything gets to the U S right before the snow falls. Um, So you want everything landed uh, at a port, uh, at least by like October 1st, uh, mid October By like the latest. And then you have to go through the process of uh, getting everything and shipping it out to all the individual shops. And then here's the other thing too, um, because everybody everybody in the industry um, works with uh, net terms or aging account receivables. So your average net terms, you're looking at net 60, net 90, um, net beyond that, which is like 120 days. So you have to find different ways to you know, create the cash flow with that. Um, some There's stuff out there called factoring. Um, you can do that as long as you build that into your captured cost where you're, you're selling your account, aging accounts receivable um, to get that cash flow right away from the get-go. Um, there's other stuff you can do out there with uh, SBA and whatnot or um, lines of credit. So you really have to solve those financial problems um, so you can go back in and make sure you're fulfilling your orders and stuff like that and that was uh that was a crazy um you know as we're growing it was such a crazy uh kind of equation or crazy thing to solve at the time um you know and figure out interesting so that very
1: first batch of orders that you sent out and there probably would have been Know, a year delay just from making it, getting the payments and sending it, and all the shipping. So, you spent a year trying to figure out all those problems, and you finally got it into the retailer stores. What happened next? Did you just sit and wait for the phone to ring, and hopefully, people were just buying it off the shelf, or, or and then waiting for people to sort of call back and be like, Hey, your boards are killing it. Can I order another batch for next season? What happened after?
0: Well, I mean, you gotta. This is the other thing, too. Then you got to go follow up and you got to make sure your your marketing's on point, too. So you got to do targeted marketing kind of around your specialty retailers and stuff like that. So if there's regional magazines, national magazines, you got to make sure the word's getting out there. Um, you know, as it kind of went more digital, uh, that was stuff like Facebook ads, Instagram ads, and kind of doing. Um, just targeting around those areas where you're doing geo-fencing just for those retailers and stuff like that within a 50 to hundred mile re- uh, square space range. Um, yeah. Uh, you gotta, you gotta make sure that their phones are ringing. So your phones ring, you gotta make sure their their doors are going and people are talking to them about your products and stuff like that too. And then also uh, getting those testimonials and stuff like that and getting the shares, Um, you know, people were excited about it, you know, like you got to make sure you're constantly sharing your customer's story and your customer's journey. Um, once I realized, you know, this is kind of like the humbling moment I, you know, in 2015 or 16, I was standing at the top of copper mountain, um, after like all the shows were over and I said, you know, I, you know, I might be in the business of making snowboards, but really what I'm in the business of is creating kick-ass memorable experiences. Interesting. And then
1: when you had that realization, how did that change the way you approach this whole snowboard making company that you created over the last two years?
0: Well, you got to, you know, then you take a look at, um, through the eyes, of the customer, the customer journey, like what's the customer journey, like where the experiences, what, uh, you know, what's your niche? Or your avatar. Like what are, you know, how many days a year do they ride? Do they have uh, kids that are riding? Can you create kids' products and bundle kids' products with adults' products? Um, Can you make women's specialty boards and create something really cool for women out there? Because uh, mountain towns, you know, like girls like to go to the beaches Uh, as far as ski towns go. You know, like it's a little bit colder and stuff like that. So we all need a little bit more of – we need a little bit more upping of the ratio. So there's a little bit of, you know, selfish and selfless why in there. But, you know, like helping helping kind of like women create a product that really they were stoked on, um, you know, and bringing them into, um, you know, like having hands off, no men allowed and letting them develop what they wanted as a product versus telling them what they wanted, you know, and taking... Taking more feedback from your customers, asking questions, um, you know, surveying your customers with your email list—whether you know, be email, social media, uh, texting, and stuff like uh, that—with all that stuff wasn't big, but you know, survey them and offer them like a little bit of a discount, um, you know, to provide that information back and that feedback. Um, But that was that was the value was just having our community, having our customers constantly giving us feedback of what they wanted to see. When you listen to that, when you realize you're more in the experience business like Walt Disney or, you know, like Steve Jobs with Apple, you know, you can't just tell people like, Hey, this is a PC and here's all these great things, or here's all these amazing things. You got to think about the end user experience and what that's like. And just realizing that, I'm in the, you know, recreation business of creating memories and experiences. And what are those memories and experiences? How are they, how can you make them better? Um, How can you add more value to their life? Um, You know, towards, towards the end of it, we're even like rolling up trips and stuff like that. And like, just bringing people together that wrote our boards, whether they didn't write our boards or not, but just connecting people and making that, you know, kind of, kind of the Walt Disney moment, you know, where he always realized he was in the business of creating experiences. Um, you know, we take that, that motto to your business. Um, you think about the, just the customer in mind and the end user, um, you can create anything backwards from that. Interesting, Jeff. So
1: you spent a year on, on marketing to try to make sure the product would sell and all these retailers that put their belief on you would be able to sell your stock that next year round, I guess you probably got a bunch of new orders and you probably manufactured the same main skew that you created the year prior. How many years were you doing that? And how, like, when were you able to get to a point where you able to then create women's snowboards, kids snowboards and start branching out to everything you mentioned?
0: Yeah, that was kind of like 2016, um, 17, um, 2018. Even, uh, you know, a little bit like 2019 as well, too. Um, we were just able to to branch out with that um you know, like we called it we uh called it the rad dad project um bomb mom project you know, like bringing because people my age um you know they kind of they went snowboarding and that was kind of the the big reason of the nineties boom um when I thought about that and then they graduated high school. So like mom and dad, you know, whoever, they weren't flipping their bills or maybe they weren't working at the mountain anymore. And they went to college. They went to college. They still snowboarded a couple times a year um, with the college pass or something like that. <laughs> but then, you know, maybe they met somebody in college, um, got married or had kids, not in that order, bought houses, got careers and became responsible adults. And, you know, now all of a sudden they have kids that are three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And they're looking back and saying, "Hey, remember when we did blank? That was cool. We should bring our kids to do. We should bring them to snowboard. Do you remember when we did that? I remember doing that, and it was so fun. I want to give that to my kids too. So when we kind of thought about that, just it made sense, you know. And it's kind of a way to, you know, make sure that you have the next generation on your boards. Uh, nobody's ever going to forget." their first snowboard, same way. You're never going to forget your first bike, your first car, your first, your first kiss, um, all it's just pure love. So if you can always be the first, um, in there, you'll always be remembered.
1: So this journey was from like 2011, all the way up to, I guess, 2020. Um, Jeff, what was the name of the brand, the snowboard brand?
0: So it was, uh, why me snowboards, um, for Wisconsin and Maine. And that was my journey in life. And we did a lot of fun, super fun graphics. Um, one of my artists, Nache, um, out of Spain, he did some, we did some, some amazing stuff. Like we did Return of the Shred uh, mm-hmm. Eye. We did parodies of Star Wars because I love Star Wars. So we had, you know, instead of like Han Solo, we had Han Cholo, Heineken Boozewalker, Princess Levy, YOLO, Darth Vapor, the Rookie Wookiee and onwards, you know, and then we did the Shred Fire Strikes Back and Nar Wars. We did other fun stuff too, like uh, Trump's White House Casino, uh, where we were just really like, becoming kind of like Mad Magazine with like one of our fun series there. You know, like we did Shredemy Street of just kind of all the characters a little, well, that was a little bit on the edge, you know, <laughs> like Cookie Monster free pacing cookies and stuff like that. But it was, it was funny. It's kind of like that humor, uh, that family guy humor, the Mad Magazine humor, where people kind of got that. And then we had some other graphics that were, uh, you know, a little bit more classy. Um, but it, we just, we had a lot of fun. Uh, creating that stuff and creating laughs and then taking uh because we were creating a lot of the characters and stuff like that uh just on the graphics so we started putting all that on our merchandise uh, we even did uh right after donald trump got elected we made uh trump's white house casino where it's kind of like a parody of back to the future uh meets you know where he's biff Tannen in the white house and the white house casino and all that and people that hated trump bought that board people that love trump bought that board it was like the perfect right in the middle whereas like controversial enough that like people that loved him but people that hated him loved it like it was like the absolute win of like the decade for us wow
1: and were you guys still the sole manufacturer of that specifically material board and you guys had the lightest board and, and no one else could compete with you guys were you guys still the only one
0: we were still the only one then Mm-hmm. Um, some other people have, or some other brands have kind of like integrated attack as we've been licensed, or excuse me, as I've been licensing that out. Um, but no, nobody's, nobody was able to really touch that. We were so far ahead. That was like five, six years ahead. It's like going into the future and just thinking so far ahead of the future. Um, it's taken, like a lot of the brands are finally starting to catch on now, you know, in the 2020s. Um like 2020, 2022. Um, brands are starting to use stuff like basalt and they're starting to get rid of uh, a lot of your fiberglass and your acrylic composites and stuff. They're just finding other stuff to to experiment around with. Um, but really what I always called our boards was the ultimate riding experience because we took a look at everything from the inside out um and then the outside in. So everything complemented it for that ultimate riding experience where it was just it was different. Um, just being, having a board that was like part of your body, like having another like leg or another arm where you just felt like it didn't take as much effort, make that thing respond and do what you wanted it to do.
1: It's um, similar to Elon Musk, how he sort of built his rockets from first principles. You sort of just went straight to the raw materials and you figured it out from there. Have you seen any of your boards in the Olympics? Cause I, I guess like pros would want to use your boards because it's the lightest board and that's a huge advantage.
0: Oh, it, you know, it'd be cool to see it in the Olympics. Everybody's like, yeah, you can get in the Olympics. But um, here's the thing. Um, IOC designates that all the boards have to be blank or, um, you know, it's all, they also have to be like uniform. So mm-hmm. somebody, somebody that might not ride for Burton has to ride on burden stuff just because burden's that uh, designated thing. Because on the Olympics, they're can't, it's kind of like NASCAR. Mm-hmm. Everybody has to have the same engine, same stuff, same weight, you know, same thing where it's just nitpicky. Mm-hmm. Um you know, as far as other competitions, like Dew Tour, Max um, and stuff like that, like, yeah, you can see those out there for sure. But also um, a lot of the riders and stuff like that, like the uh, the pro riders, um, they have contracts with those board manufacturers or the board brands just to specifically only use those boards. And sometimes it's even so, so specific where it has to be, you have to be riding next year's stuff. and you know, even doing like feedback and R and D on like next, next year's stuff. And then your, uh, development team, they're doing next, next, next year's stuff. Like the sketchy stuff that they're probably going (laughs) to (laughs) break.
1: Got it. Interesting. And like, what year did you guys end up exiting the company? Were you the sole founder? How big did the company grow to before you exited?
0: Um, so we had, we had several manufacturers, um, you know, and it grew decent, um, you know, like we had reps, we had 10, 5 to 10 reps, um, distribution, um, you know, a few different countries. Um, we were able, I was able to exit um the import-export side. Um, so I exited the logistical algorithms, <laughs> exited the quality control teams, and that was kind of at the right time well, with 2018. Uh, the brand um ultimately like was trying to keep that going, you know, for another another few years, but 2020 kind of brought that to a halt. Um, just with everything being deemed non- non-essential um, supply chains kind of shutting down. And then there's kind of a crummy air. Um, so in those situations, you have to take a look and say, all right, how are we going to shift her? How are we going to pivot? How are we going to make a win from this? You know, unfortunately it's one of those things, you know, like it happened in March. Um, we said um, if we could keep this going well into, you know, September or whatever, then, you know, if we could survive this, um, if we can see what the supply chain stuff looks like, um, you know, the future and the forecast of that, um, it'll make sense. Otherwise, it makes sense just to take a little bit of time off, um, pull back from it and then look at the other avenues so you can exit from it um, with technology licensing and stuff like that. Um, so that kind of became the, full, um, the forefront focus where how many different licenses can we get this out to um, pull back on the brand? Uh, backshelf the brand and then kind of focus on on other areas of growth. Uh, but really, I felt once I opened that door, once I kind of went that route, um, it allowed for oh, just my life to a lot more other doors to open. Um, you know, from doing stuff in the private equity world, um, which I'm kind of doing now, um, which I am not kind of doing. I am doing now. <laughs> um, and then equity consulting and then sitting on uh, boards as a director. Um, advisory boards and directorial boards and uh, just providing that insight. Um, we do still have a lot of the the merch out there uh, <laughs> just because it was so fun and we could drop ship that and it was super popular. you know we can drop ship the shirts and all that stuff and it's uh you know keep that stuff around um, and we could always bring it back and revive it. Uh, we talked about reviving it as like get awesome or you know kind of like a whole new brand to just to like re-excite reinvigorate people uh, but right now uh, what I'm really focusing on doing is once it comes to a point where uh, a couple of portfolios need some diversifications what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna need a tax write-off because there is a saying uh, when I first got in uh, the first year I went to one of the trade shows in like 2011 2012 um, one of the, the longtime uh, guys um you know in the ski, in the ski brand uh, he'd been around for Oh, like 50 years or something like that. He told me a saying, he said, well, Hey, good luck. You want to make a lot, you want to make some money in this industry, start with a lot of money. So, and that's the reason why you have a lot of these other companies that have parent companies and stuff like that and tax diversifications and, you know, all the big other, you know, other stuff They're they have billion dollar portfolio or they're part of billion dollar portfolios and they're just a portfolio company that's write off. So going forward, you know, as I'm building out some of these private equity portfolios. Yeah, we'll roll it in. We'll make some boards. We'll make some fun stuff again, uh, probably under a different name, but it'll be totally like a tax write-off and totally like a, a passion project for like another two to five years. And you don't know, have to worry about saying, hey, I need this marketing to work. I need the sales to work. We have to get this fulfillment absolutely right. I mean, we have the equations and stuff like that. Um, you know, gotta, gotta have our financing short up. No, I mean, like we'll already have this all all set and done. Um, so that's kind of the big big shift for me was saying, hey, um, you know, get into the whole private equity world, um, consulting world and stuff like that, uh, build up a decent sized portfolio. Um, you know of stuff that we have like gas stations, liquor stores, laundromats, and then diversify into the attack with uh, data aggregation, uh, marketing agencies, software as a service, AI, and fintech. Um, we're gonna take a 3.5 billion dollar exit on that in three to five years. And then also that allows us, you know, we have diversification models, whether it be into quants, other into hard assets, oil and gas. But once those things surplus out of each of those, then you have money that you can put into venture capital funds or fund kind of your, your passion projects and stuff like that. But I'm a firm believer going forward. Like, you know, here's the thing. I'm never going to build another business. I'm just going to buy them and acquire them and roll and stack them and build them like Legos for what I want. Interesting. Before you made that transition,
1: Jeff... How did you go about selling like the manufacturing and selling the logistics without selling the brand without selling the pattern? How did you break it up in that way where you still own the brand and people can't use your brand, but you sold manufacturing and logistics?
0: Yeah. So what? uh, would a lot of us start a business handy. Um, you'll have like one entity, like whether it be an LLC, uh, C Corp or an S Corp. Um, what a lot of people don't do is they don't look at their, their entire business, um, you know, as a portfolio, because if you have multiple revenue streams, those should be separated under NACS codes, you know, cause you have different tax codes, you get an individual multiple of that and you get a higher valuation for your entire company. So essentially what you can do is you could have your holding company here and then multiple entities pointing around to it, or you can set it up, you know, with several pass through options. Mm-hmm. Um, we just did with a holding company, um, that held all that. And each single one of those, there's about six revenue streams in there. Um, Each one of those entities held their own teams and had their own streams and stuff like that in Texas Nations. The reason you want to do that, too, is because it allows your buyer, when you're exiting, to shop all the cart. So you can sell off certain parts, still retain your original holding company and still retain some of it. So you can still just shift or still focus on what you're doing. And let's say even if you're doing a business like... I know people out there that do landscaping and earthwork and then they're exiting their landscaping and they're exiting their lawn mowing contracts, but they're just saying I'm done. When they totally could have just put that in an entity, it's got recurring revenue. It's got a customer base. You could sell that. So anytime you don't want to do anything anymore, you just say, yeah, putting this LLC or this sub entity, Um, whether it's, uh, you know, sub S or, you know, whatever it is underneath your holding company, you're just going to go list that and then exit out of that singularly and then that's also going to put more money back into your business to kind of do the focus that you want to do focus on rather than just saying oh i'm done with this you're leaving money on the table
1: and then were there any sort of companies that bought your brand the minnesota boards and can we are those boards still being made or seen anywhere anymore
0: you'll see them you'll see them around and stuff like that hell it's always cool when people send me pictures or um you know you walk outside and i'm like oh cool like that's one of my boards or, um, uh, the other cool thing too, is, uh, that this was kind of the first cool thing is when I saw one of my boards and I went into kind of like the, the mid station lodge and I said, Hey, I didn't recognize usually as all my friends riding my boards. And this is just a total random person that came outside and got on my board. And I just said, Oh, nice board, man. You know, didn't even say who I was or anything like that, just kind of stepped back and took it as a moment of appreciation. Uh, the boards haven't been made since 2020. Um, some of the merch and stuff like that merch can still be bought online. Uh, the branding's still out there. Um, there's still like intellectual property and stuff like that that's rolled up with that, like trademarks and stuff um, with some of that. But that's kind of in a separate entity and stuff like that. Um, we we're able to exit um, a lot of the logistical algorithms. As well as um, we had our supply chain, we were able to exit that. Um, just a 3PL third-party logistics company, so we were able to exit those segments. Um, just because I didn't want to be in the ex- import-export business anymore. Um, it was it was time, and you know the right timing and opportunity kind of came around um, just for that that exit. Um, but always, I'm always building everything I do with an exit in mind, and then working backwards from that. Interesting. So now thinking
1: about it, that first company of yours, you sort of had a bit of vertical integration. Is that correct? You had the the algorithms, the logistics, you had the manufacturing, you also had the brand, and you also sold it directly. So you had like vertical integration.
0: Yeah, total vertical integration. And shoot, we even did uh I did mergers and acquisitions in Asia with the Chinese government, which that's a whole different story of how you have to make that happen. Um, <laughs> but once I learned more of the U.S. Uh, mergers and acquisitions um, of how to build and like rapidly expand, it just made so much more sense. Um, rather, you know, like, what did I do now if I had buy the same business? I just go out and buy the exact same business to double my customer base overnight. And it's revenue, it's minimal risk, and you can leverage it. Rather than, rather than build because building takes forever. You know, like I was at a, speaking at a financial conference and I asked, this is my favorite question to ask everybody. How many people built your first house? You know how many hands go up in the room? No, maybe one, maybe one, they're a unicorn, they're a unicorn, catch them and ride that rainbow to the pot of gold and find, you know, the leprechaun guy with the lucky charms and all the gold. Cause that's rare. Usually uh, by the time I ask how many built your second home. Couple of hands go up, third home, fourth home. And then people are like, oh, yeah. So, why would you build your first business? Why would you buy your first business? And this is the best way to start a business right now, just because you have uh, like two point five 2.5 million go on the market right now, less than 400,000 get acquired. You have better financing options. You can do seller financing. There's pre existing revenue, customers, uh, just data and stuff like that, right? And then you also have the other perfect storm of boomers retiring at. Um, 10,000 a day, I think it is. And 90% of them are business owners, right? So this is kind of like the biggest opportunity for us. So go buy one or two of those. And let's say you want to go do something in real estate. Cool. Take the cash flow out of that business, diversify that into real estate. There you go. You just got that 100% free. You can keep the business as a portfolio investment or you can exit it, take the cash, put that into something else. Um, Or the other thing too, is you can use to one, to, one to two businesses to diversify when you need that tax write off when you surplus. Um you can take that and park that into your new business of, hey, I want to do this. But you know what? You don't have to you don't have to worry about you don't have to worry about the whole emotional attachment of that stuff working out. Or like the whole emotional attachment of sales. You can just solely be focused on data. And you can this is the same stuff that Fortune 75 does, Fortune 500, um, like whether it be Walmart, Home Depot, or even like Mitsubishi Motors. Mitsubishi Motors has an entire team of 100 people that just invest and in diversify into commercial and residential real estate. So you're taking some of these bigger strategies of looking at everything you're doing um, company wise as portfolio and hedging yourself out in a vertical and horizontal rather than saying oh, I have to scale vertical. Your revenue goals from your business do not have to come within the confines of that business if you have a strong diversification model that can come out, you know, from outside of that. So having stuff like self-storages, um, gas stations, um, liquor stores, or other things that also support your stuff too. Um, so you can have, you can do tuck-ins with, you know, like, let's say you have a marketing agency, you'd go out there and acquire the data aggregation to shore up your, um, your look like audiences and whatnot, um, shore up your data. Um, then you can go out there and buy a few products, um, buy some SaaS, buy some AI, because we all chat GPTs taking over the world, um, get into FinTech or payment processing, and then you're just really shoring up you know, that whole funnel. And that's just kind of like one example. You look at somebody that's doing construction, um, what else can you buy out there too? You can buy a roofing company, you can buy a solar company, you can buy uh, electrical company, you can buy a plumbing company, just to tuck that in and vertically integrate it yourself, but you're not building that process out um, from the get-go. So it's, it's a more advanced way of thinking. And for anybody that would do it, you know, um, without the entrepreneurial experience, I, you know, I would suggest doing that because you can be an absentee owner, but also investing in like a mentor, or a coach to kind of share the strategies with you. But that's the, the absolute fast track of doing anything. I think in the next two to five years, none of us should be building businesses. We should be buying everything up out there there. Is there so many opportunities for that right now? And with everything that's going on kind of with, uh, with the fed, um, you know, like interest rates are still going up, but the cost of capital is still reasonable, um, unemployment. Um, once that shoots up, we'll kind of have a spot where we level off from inflation, but right now it's, it's low tide right now. It's the time to buy. It's not the time to build.
1: Interesting Jeff. So when I, when you went ahead and exited the 3 P on logistics and your whole snowboarding company, what was the first company you purchased? Oh
0: man, gas stations. Gas stations, self-storage, as many of those things as I could. Um, you know, and then also um then I started getting into more of the tech side um, the last couple of years. So marketing, marketing agencies. Um, rather than building a marketing agency from the ground up, like I is so popular. There's so many build my marketing agency stuff online. And every time I look at that, uh the the one thing I love commenting on, I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I'm just going to go look on BizBuySell, Transworld Business, uh, DL Mavens, or one of those other ones and see what I can buy. See who's got a marketing agency out there that's doing, I don't know, maybe they're doing like 3.5 EBITDA. um, You know, they're they're asking like 7 million. Cool. I can get that way easier than I can with startups because startups take time. And I just don't feel like using the time anymore. Um, Once I learned that you can buy revenue rather than build revenue, um it's just kind of a different way of thinking um but there's so many things out there that you could buy um you know even the average person could take their 401k loan off their 401k to get their uh, down payment uh with SBA 7A, uh, loan product um typically you need 2 to 10% um your 401k you loan off that so your 401k is still generating or your index fund or like whatever you have in your your net portfolio um then SBA, typically you can do uh, 20 years amortized um, with that 10% down. Um, You know, one example was you can buy a million dollar business for 950,000. It nets or grosses uh, 120, uh, 120K. And then after overhead, uh, the net is 28.5. So essentially you're getting a couple hundred thousand dollars, two to $300,000 revenue, from the get go. So you're replacing your income. That's the first thing you got to do, you know, as an entrepreneur kind of going forward. You have to take care of that. Then you can go focus on the fun stuff, um, you know, or maybe it's a car wash or it's something, something real super simple that's uh, value based and basic. Liquor stores, car washes, laundromats, um, gas stations, they're simple. People are always going to need gas. They're always going to buy gas, diesel if you have a subway with that or like a mcdonald's you know it just brings more people in they're going to buy sodas and drinks and stuff like that you get some alright margins for that you're not getting you're getting like a 40% margin on on your fuel and stuff like that but you know your other tangibles and your other products and in your inventory you're doing much better on that um you look at your average purchase you know like the gas station On the corner of a busy intersection is sometimes an eight figure business and people just kind of turn their nose at that, but it's an easy seven figure business. Like your local hometown gas station is a seven figure business and a laundromat is easy six, sometimes seven figure business in a big city, but people kind of turn their noses down, you know, like, oh, it's not a, not a marketing agency.
1: Usually what's the multiple on the profit? um, yearly profit for like a gas station when you sort of purchase it?
0: So there's two ways you're going to look at a multiple. Um, every, everything's separated. is judged by your NACS, um, code. There's, you can just look up industry multiples, uh, by category. So it's based off your annual revenue. Um, if you're in the, you know, hundred thousand to 1 million, it's typically, uh, uh, they classify that as unsophistic- unsophisticated SME, small, medium enterprise. Um, you're going to get a lower multiple of that. Sometimes it's a, it's a three or a four, um, depending sometimes it's a one, 1.5. Um, but if you can get that from a 1 million to a 5 million, you're going to get a higher multiple from that. If you can get a 10 million, um, whether it be probably not like a service station like that, those are, you can push those up to, I've seen some for like five or six, um, you know, like what they're netting in like big areas, but it's, uh, you know, it's about taking your business and scaling that out. I'm uh, just getting into something. Sometimes it's fixing something super simple. Um, like there's one that uh, we're taking a look at. There's credit card processing. Credit card processing costs on the, the P&L $60,000 a year. So what am I going to go do? I'm going to go shore that up by finding a flat rate credit card processor, $60,000 put back in there. Uh, let's see what else. They didn't qualify for, or they did qualify for the employee retention credit, but they didn't get it. They didn't take advantage of that. So I'm going to get that. Between those two, I'll have my down payment covered. Um, I can also do an OPM thing where I could borrow, um, you know, from some, my circle um, where I could give them a, you know, 90 day and 20, 30% bump out on uh, on their funds. Uh, and then based on the debt servicing, uh, and then we'll get the other, the other um, debt um, covered by asset-based lending, asset-based lending, or we'll roll that in with a total SBA 7a product. So there's so many different ways you can do businesses out there. And then the other thing too is you have boomers that are retiring and they don't know how to exit. They got four kids. Um, none of them want to be an entrepreneur. None of them want to take mom and dad's business over. Uh, you know, case in point, a uh, little town uh, where I was out in Maine, uh, where my my folks are when I go visit them. The furniture store closed. It's been open for 40 or 50 years. You know what? they're closing it down. It has real estate. It probably has a manager. Kids don't want to take it over. Do you think you could go in that and offer them seller financing and do like a five year term and saying, Hey, I can get you a little bit more out of this, um, rather than you just closing and retiring. So there's so much opportunity out there right now. That's why I'm saying none of us should be, you know, building. We should all be looking at, you know, what can we go out there and acquire, 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 and then stack and build. And it's really just like Legos. Like, what can you do? Like, same thing with existing real estate. Um, like existing real estate, you'll go buy a 50 to 100 unit uh, complex, and then you'll do what's called value add. So you do paint, floors, cabinets, and stuff like that. And then you can up the rent, $200, because you have those value adds. So same thing with, with the business. But if you can step in there, seller financing, you have equity. You have equity, and you, know, you might have to do a little bit of sweat equity in it, but why not? It's uh anything beats um, trading your time for money. So, like in
1: Sydney, the average house price is like a million dollars, and you know, with ten percent down, hundred thousand dollars, you can get a loan, a mortgage for a million dollars, and the yearly rent yield is probably like two to three percent. It's horrible. So, it's going to take you thirty-three, thirty years plus to make back the money, and that's like. Oh, yeah before interest is like even considered. Yeah. Um, whereas with a million dollars, you can buy like a petrol station, a gas station, something small. If it's if there's like a two multiple and two and X multiple on the revenue and the margins are like, even if it's 25%, you're looking at eight years to make your money back on that gas station. And if it's hands off and, and you can just hire a, a store manager to just manage this, you're making, like, it's the same cost, but you're making the returns back in eight years versus 35 years.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, real estate and stuff like that, it's, uh, I always look at it as a way to park your um, your assets or it's a way to, you have surpluses, um, you park it in as a limited partner into, you know, bigger complexes and stuff like that. Real estate's a long-term game. Um, should you focus strictly on acquiring businesses no, I mean, you want a diversified portfolio ultimately, um just in case one thing happens or you know something dries up um there's always that next stream that can you can kind of pivot to or take over or exit the other one um but real estate's a it's a long term game. everybody thinks it comes from real estate, but majority of the the money out there comes from businesses, existing businesses, and that's the quickest way. Um, you can make, you can make that capital, Uh, get a couple of those underneath, then go acquire the real estate.
1: Interesting. Like I've heard that being mentioned before and I've never understood it because we're in a time where we're surrounded by people. Everyone's like, get your first job, then get your first property. Like that's, that's sort of what everyone's been told. Um, But I have a mentor, he's in the meat manufacturing business. He supplies meats to Woolworths, Coles, Costco. Um, And he's been in the game. He's like, maybe in his late 40s or, or mid 50s and he doesn't even have any sort of real estate property he has his warehouses which he owns but he told me i was like yeah like i'm probably still too early to get into the real estate game like you're way too early about it andy don't even think about it like real estate's for the wealthy the really wealthy people and like i i, I don't i sort of understand i don't fully understand it yet because every person has a realist, everyone else has a house, but he's telling me that no, like you should only get into real estate when you're really rich. And and I, what does that mean? Oh, I mean,
0: even look at Grant Cardone. I mean, he was the one that said, I don't have real estate, but um, he's selling real estate syndications and stuff like that and building all those things. I mean, don't get me wrong. He probably has units that are covered underneath the syndications, but no, I mean, you don't want to get into, you don't want to go out there and buy your first house, because unless unless you're doing Airbnb or something like that, it's, uh, it's kind of the way like Kiyosaki looks at it, like asset versus liability. You know, like, yeah, your house is an asset, but what's <laughs> the mortgage on it, 20, 30, however many years it takes to do that before it becomes an asset. Like how long before you have equity in that and like what opportunities is that asset uh, robbing you from? If it's robbing you from li- assets or other opportunities, it's not an asset, it's a liability. And if you have to go continue to, you know, go get the job and all that. I mean, that's that's kind of the way we're taught by the school system because the school system's just made for the workforce. We're all taught, you know, trade your time for money, W-2, or then the United States we call it the W2 form uh, that you file. That's how most people file it. Um, some people kind of get into the 1099 where they're consulting or they, you know, become their owner, operator, sellerpreneur, um, whatever you want to call it, but nobody's really talking about. Um, being like a leveraged business owner where you can show up 15 hours a week or you can show up no hours a week and that thing's still going to make money. Actually, when you remove yourself from the equation, that's when you have a good functioning wheel or a good functioning machine. It makes more money. That's when you have something that's really amazing. Um, and then you get into like passive stuff like portfolio, um, like building uh, building stuff like that. Why is real estate something for the rich? Um, because real estate is something that's uh, treated as a, uh, a depreciating asset um, on a lot of tax schedules, so you can constantly depreciate um, that asset, and you're taking out as much you know as much time as you can on the debt servicing. So you're constantly just using that as a loss against your other portfolio items. That's why it's a game for the rich, and that's why it's a long-term power play. But when they exit that that asset, um, all of a sudden they you know it's going to be an asset um once they exit it but you have to treat it as a uh, depreciation uh just on your tax schedules and stuff like that interesting
1: wow that is insane like as i'm talking to you jeff i could just tell that you've got all this experience and, and i'm like sort of nudging at the tip of the iceberg trying to figure out and understand bit by bit but like you just have so much more knowledge that like i can't even properly fully interview you because there's just so many things that you're talking about that i just don't know about <laughs>
0: It's cool, man. It's cool. Uh, But this is, you know, it's 41 years of being on this rock and just constantly learning and constantly progressing um, and constantly doing that. And this is, you know, this new area where, you know, I love to be. It's just helping people, helping more people become work optional. Um, But I like to call it a little bit cooler thing than work optional, free range humans, where you can go wherever you want, whenever you want, with whoever you want and do whatever you want hopefully it's cool things and doing cool, like cool adventures with me, like, you know, like snowboarding or dirt biking or sailing or sliding cars on the ice, um, out there in Maine or whatever it is, you know, just being free and doing your thing. And ultimately, you know, it's solving that equation. Um, you know, and then there's a lot of other areas I like to work in, you know, like with mindset, um, mindset's such a big piece of, you know, this whole everything like businesses, love, um, athletic stuff, high performance, you know, it's all, it's all the mindset. Um, so it's mind. And then, you know, like you can transform your body and, you know, women can have, uh, children and stuff like that. And you can gain weight, lose weight, um, save your mind, body, and then your spirit where you can transmutate stuff, um, take the negative and turn it into positive and really connect with stuff on a spiritual level, but helping more people solve these transactional um, equations uh becoming work optional or free arranged humans allows them to focus more on um you know the transformational items of the body, um, more transmutational stuff of spirituality and ultimately achieve a total state of transcendence. Cause just in the last year I focused so heavily on these like um giving up alcohol and caffeine and stuff like that and just focusing on like what my body's telling me and what my soul's telling me. Um and then, kind of like getting getting around my mind and stuff like that as well too, and mind, body, spirit, um, just total state of transcendence where there is there's no right or wrong. Well, I mean, there is right or wrong, but there's no good or bad. Um, should I say there's no good or bad? It's just really reacting and responding um, to life's algorithm. And reacting is you know kind of how we internalize stuff, um, and then externalizing stuff is how we respond. Um, just based on that and that's really all it is um, you know in class they uh, they give you a lesson then you get a test um, out here um, <laughs> you kind of get the lesson of the test at the same time that is
1: so awesome jeff like I was shocked. Like when you started bringing up like transmuting spirituality and, and all this stuff, like you have a such a broad range of knowledge. Like I was surprised because we were just talking about business and you brought this, I was like, wow, like you're super duper broad. How do you consume knowledge? Like what's your medium? Is it reading every night? What's your main way of consuming knowledge?
0: Um, it's reading every night, but also it's, you know, it's this state of transcendence too. Like sometimes it's being so in touch, um, with my soul and, um, I call it source, um, just cause we all have different beliefs, um, you know, of who we talk to and it's, you know, we just call them by a different name. Um, but it's, you know, the connection to divine connection to the source. Um, obviously like, you know, like there's a lot of reading that I do, um, you know, but it's usually like 20, 30 minutes, um, a day typically, or, you know, night. Um, and then it's just focused on, um, what I want to learn and what I want to do and what I want to contribute. Um, and then it's just other stuff just based off my experiences and stuff too, but it's having this whole, this whole connection of transcendence, um, being in a good mindset, um, being, being in optimal health. Um, and then <clears throat> she was, I'm like burping and stuff like that. Uh, just cause I came back from the gym. Uh, but you know, it's mind, body, spirit. And it's just having that connection of the balance of all three of those that allows me to transcend, allows me to learn quickly, allows me to rapidly take knowledge and then apply it. And then just not having cloudy, you know, the cloudy head and stuff like that too. Just making sure everything is optimized and, uh, you know, as good as it can be. Interesting.
1: Jeff, what's your decision-making process? For example, like this morning, I was researching about webcams to get better quality for my podcast. The option was either buy like a, $400 $400 4k webcam that's pretty good or drop like i think maybe it was like a thousand dollars on like an actual dlsr get like a hundred dollar mount somehow learn how to mount it onto my computer get a converter that can convert it to my laptop and now i have like an actual dslr quality for three times the price but it's also two times the difficulty but it is a one-time setup and once i figure it out i know it forever but it's like the other one is just like a plug and play so i'm like do i got the cheaper easier option or the higher quality more expensive and I, I'm, it might not even work option but once i set it up it's
0: forever it's it's forever you know and you got to think about that too like the cheaper options uh some of that stuff you get what you pay for so mm. you'll be buying that in another two years mm. and if you buy two or three of them you've technically bought the cost of that dslr you know and you, same thing I used to buy. I'd buy the highest quality video cameras for snowboarding and stuff like that for creating my own video parts or my own segments and just getting feedback because I knew that thing would last spend a few grand on it. You know what? That thing's going to last five, six, seven, eight years. Cause it's a uh, prosumer equipment. Same thing with like my truck. I got a diesel truck. Um, just cause I know I'm going to drive all over kingdom come and beat the crap out of it. And it's made with higher quality commercial grade components. Um, so it, I spend a little bit more, um, typically just cause I know it's going to last longer and I'll pay more for that quality, uh, decision-making like for personal stuff. That's kind of, you know, it makes sense for me. Um, sometimes there's a little bit like meditation or something like that, but usually I just, I go with the flow and just follow my heart. Um, you know, and the highest desire with that. Um, other times, you know, you can't in business and stuff like that. Sometimes you got boardrooms and stuff like that. And you kind of have to convince other people, but, um, you know, in those situations too, I make sure I don't want to surround myself with yes, men. Um, I want as many people as I can that are going to challenge me and challenge my thinking as well too um, and have not heated debates, but, you know, discussions, um, really challenging discussions and stimulating discussions around that. Interesting.
1: At the moment, Jeff, what is your company structure looking like? Do you have like a team that just focus on buying and acquiring and doing due diligence? Do you have like a portfolio manager just for all your gas station, a portfolio manager just for all your laundry sort of shops and then they look after all those? Like, what does the company look like? How much of work are you personally doing?
0: You know, not much. Uh, I guess it's not really work though um, for me, the things that kind of bring me joy. um, It's attending board meetings and stuff like that. make some calls here and there, really, it's maybe 20 hours a week, Uh, maybe, you know, and yeah, there's a value portfolio manager, um, where they're kind of designated for that, because we have a lot of the um, service and value portfolio items around the same area, same region. So just being brick and mortar allows these of that. Um, as we expand, we'll probably segregate those into separate, um, you know, sing- singular value portfolios and pull those apart and then restructure those. Um, same thing with, like, the acceleration portfolio. Um, we have managers and stuff like that. As I'm building out more of these uh, 506B offerings and stuff like that, too, I have an amazing team of interfacers and integrators um, where they're quantum analysts. Um, so they help They help with a lot of the management stuff um, where I'm more of the general partner um, front-facing um, person with that. And then we team up on some of these amazing deals. Um, these guys, um, there's there's a few people, and there are a couple of them out there um, I'm blessed to work with where they kind of shared uh, just this journey with me or made that connection. Uh, and it's kind of cool to come full circle and be able to, to work with them and be able to partner up with them um, as kind of like the fund managers and stuff like that. Interesting. And
1: when you're sort of in the business of acquiring businesses, how do you sort of maintain and ensure that, you know, the company is just going to have consistent cash flow? Because when it's just a mom and pop shop, the reason why there's that cash flow, because they're like incentivized to sort of make the store do well, because they'll be rewarded if they do so. But once you switch in a manager, switch in a company, a store owner, how do you sort of keep the revenue as consistent over a long period of time?
0: Yeah. And that's, that's kind of the secret. Um, you look at stuff that is strictly out absentee owners, um, where you're just acquiring those. Um, otherwise you look at, uh, the revenues and stuff like that, where if, if you do have to insert a uh, general manager management team, that it's going to happen. Yeah. You're going to have a, you'll have a little bit of a drop in the revenue, um, for like the first quarter, like three, four months, you'll see a little bit of drop or decline. Um, but then once you kind of have everything in place, um, systems and processes and stuff like that um, you'll see it turn around within six to 12 months um, you'll have enough data sets within 12 months to see if you're going to change anything but anything that we're uh, rolling up or stacking or tucking in um, usually we're not touching those or adjusting those too much um, within the first year you just want to see um, do you want to get your data and then kind of adjust from there
1: are there any big firms that literally just go out and buy every single thing that is absentee owner related?
0: Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I mean, shoot, there's definitely uh real estate wise, like Blackwire is buying up everything, uh, residential, you know, and then, uh, there's different firms that have different ways of doing it. Um, where like you have some private equity, like Bain Capital or Bain Capital would go in with like, Um, let's say, I think it was office max or staples. Um, they went to staples and they injected capital into it and then they brought in their consulting systems and processes and mergers and acquisitions and the expansion, um, for that. So there's kind of different ways to go out, you know, within that whole private equity way of doing it. Um, you know, and the thing you got to look at is who's the, the bigger fish to swallow. Um, can you swallow that bigger fish or is that bigger fish going to swallow you? And don't get me wrong, like it's a win-win either situation. You're going to get payday uh, when you take on the bigger fish or the bigger fish takes on you. Um, You're still going to get paid out, you know, with uh, service stations. Like, let's say you're rolling up 20, 30, 40, 50 of those. Eventually, you're going to exit to one of the bigger ones out there. You know, like 7-Eleven might make an acquisition or, you know, like in – Wisconsin, like maybe a quick trip or the big one in uh, the South is Bucky's. Well, they're, they're massive. They're like supermarket size, <clears throat> but like circle K or, you know, somebody else will come out there and just buy you up because they see you as competition. Uh, it's the quickest way for them to grow and regain that market share.
1: Got it. And then let's say if someone were like talking about the, like, if someone was able to borrow a million dollars, does it take more time to maintain a r- rental property or a gas station?
0: rental properties I mean like what okay I would not buy a rental property for a million dollars I'd go get a business the gas station and then buy the rental property with the gas station with the leverage of that because the gas station's going to pay for that and especially in the United States if you' got a rental property um, like four to 28 units you can do uh, a DSCR uh, debt service credit ratio um, where that is based on what the rental property makes as a revenue. Um, sometimes you do have to do like a little bit of a personal guarantee, but it's not all the, the formalities of buying that, you know, as a personal property. Um, that's the only way I live in something or, you know, the only way I kind of like, I'm looking to, you know, build and scale and stuff like that with my own self is having multiple properties and then kind of keeping a unit open. But you know what? I'm going to Airbnb that unit or VRBO that when I'm not there, uh, just to, to cover the cash flow just to make sure that's not a, that's not a liability. I want it as an asset.
1: What's your like lifestyle like now? I see that you're sort of traveling and doing a lot of snowboarding. Um, what's sort of the type of people that like, what's your circle? Like, are, are your circle like old high school friends, old snowboard? Are there business friends? Like what's your, your sort of, Oh man.
0: Thanks. So it you know, it's kind of a cool, like being a citizen of the world, uh, especially, especially around here, around the U S there's probably like 10 different locations I can walk, walk into. And people say, welcome back home. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, where I post a picture, welcome home. And I'm like, Oh, well, I'm only here for like five, six, seven days. Um, yeah, my circle, like I have friends, um, still that I keep in touch with from high school. Um, and I still make it a point to spend a lot of time with them and keep and maintain those relationships. I have friends in the snowboarding community that I still stay connected with, um, you know, and then there's, you know, the sum of every, you know, five people you surround yourself with. So there's like my super high level people, like people, masterminds that I host to other masterminds and stuff like that. Um, you know, and I stay connected with those people. I spend a lot of time with kind of the the high level people just cause I'm at a building stage in my life. And then, you know, I always make sure I got some mentors around and coaches and, uh, friends and you know, cheerleaders even too, like, cause you know, friends will tell you how it is. Um, People that cheer you on will tell you you're great um, regardless. And sometimes it's kind of cool to, to cool. It's cool to hear that. Um, But having those, those people around and just having a, you know, amazing uh, big circle and stuff like that. And then, you know, having the other, um, you know, personal coaches and stuff too. Um, You know, so big to, you know, have kind of like your CEO, psychologist or, somebody that kind of understands you, Um, you know, and I've had a, on the other side too, I like I have a chief of staff of, you know, somebody that constantly gets everybody talking to them and kind of the reporting in the hierarchy, Um, you know, and then we have, you know, sub meetings and stuff like that, kind of like a presidential cabinet. Um, It's kind of the way I treat it, but making sure that you constantly surround yourself um, with people that challenge your thought process and people that um, challenge your growth, it's so key. That is so freaking cool
1: Jeff, any tips on like gratitude, perspective, and just sort of being really present and sort of just being happy with where you are and not thinking that, Hey, maybe I'll be more happy when I get to this sort of location, getting to the point where you're truly happy at the moment.
0: Oh man, I wrote about it in my book, you know, it's kind of just presence, um, presence and the gratitude, like what are the little things you can be grateful for? that you can get out of bed. Somebody can't do that somewhere. That you can go brush your teeth. But you know what? Um, There's kind of a challenge. Do this for like 21 days. Get out of bed and brush your teeth like you won the World Cup or, or like the Super Bowl or something like that, and just celebrate it. Like yeah, brush my teeth. Yeah, you know, like get all amped about it. You know, don't get me wrong. Like people look at you like you're you're nuts, but. It totally changes for just your whole perspective, you know. Like smiling, it just rewires that dopamine and stuff like that, you know. And even, even during the challenging times, like even this last month, I've been through some like challenging stuff just in my personal life. Like, was involved in you know kind of a relationship that didn't work out, um, but I chose gratitude over it. Gratitude for the experience and. Gratitude for the journey uh, and gratitude for the like lessons and, you know, the patterns that I kind of discovered by myself and the gratitude to just take this time for myself and just take a deep dive and do work on myself. Um, It's so, it's so key just to be grateful because none of us, um, you know, like last year, (laughs) last year I almost checked out. Um, I had a DVT in my, my left leg um, after I got off the flight and then it turned into pulmonary embolisms in both my lungs and one out of 20 feet or one out of four people die from that um so there's you know bigger reason of why I'm here and what I meant to share and you know I get confirmation from that each and every day um smiling at one more person or you know telling one more person that um shoot I just met a kid that Jimmy is talking to me about you know he's like oh dude you got some you got some like guns and stuff like that, like what do I gotta do to bulk up on chest. I'm like, dude, don't. I was like, like you want functional, like I was asking him a question and he said, oh yeah, I just want like functional, like functional muscle. I was like, oh, to get into your cleans and stuff like that, your power cleans and do all the explosive stuff. Bench is just it's just numbers. Don't worry about the numbers, worry about your form. And then uh, you know, we're kind of talking and he likes to snowboard and I was like, oh yeah, I used to be a pro. And then he knew who I was like it was kind of like one of those cool confirmations. He's like, oh I want to do that. I want to be a business owner. And like 17 year old kid, um, it was just cool to kind of pull, like pay that full circle. And I was like, man, I think I turned pro like when you were born, uh, <laughs> or maybe like a little bit after it, but it's kind of cool, like full circle, kind of like what goes around comes around, um, you know, or just connecting with all the people that I've connected with in the last week, um, just being grateful for that and just being able to share the knowledge and share the story and <clears throat> shift, uh, shift people's pentagrams and perception and stuff like that. Um, just to let them know that um, their dreams are possible. And even wrote about that in my last book, um, you know, Get Awesome, or uh, Passions Meet Purpose. Um, it's just helping people find their true north, um, going through a lot of the the personal stuff. Um, you got to go through that that personal journey before you can ever start a business because those things will um, get in the way, you know, and you'll just unravel like a zipper. You know if you don't have that strong personal side with it too
1: that's so cool like how do you go about like you talked about transmuting like how do you go about transmuting anger or exhaustion like i remember I've, I've been sort of really pushing it since the new years and i just had a long weekend recently where it was like friday night saturday night sunday night monday night and then i think tuesday hit and yesterday i was just exhausted and like i was catching up on emails, catching up on company, sort of revealing a bunch of Trello cards that I needed to review and things, I was just spotting so many errors within my company and team and I was just frustrated. And, and I was like, tomorrow I'm probably gonna feel much better and I feel much better today. But yesterday did not feel good at all.
0: <laughs> so when you, when you feel exhausted, you know what that's a sign your body's telling you to do? Rest. Rest or what fills your cup?
1: Um, going on walks, nature. Um, yeah, that's probably the biggest thing, nature.
0: I know what you're going to figure it out when you get out there in nature, mm. all those problems, you you'll just find a way of like solving it. Um, just because you're connecting with nature, connecting with that divine source, it'll, uh, it'll just reflect your mind. And then you're also, you're moving and stuff like that. So it's going to allow you to just solve that. Cause you're, you know, you're out there, the spirituality and the connection with nature, uh, the movement in conjunction with that, um, it's just gonna. Your mind's gonna figure it out um, just by proxy. But if you're just sitting there constantly, like I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, you're uh, you're focused on it because what you focus on, um, you know, just like um, the grass is greener where you water it. But sometimes, sometimes you kind of have to let it grow. You gotta let it, you know. You gotta let it be nighttime. Um, plants can't grow twenty four seven a day. They need night cycles as well too. Um, so your your brain kind of needs that as well. Um, that and screen time is so real with so many of us too, you know, like we're we just need to step away from it. Um, life's not screens or anything like that. Um transmuting anger, that's uh that's just saying, you know, like you gotta look at what's making you angry. Um, why is it making you angry? Um, and then you have to say, All right, the why this is making me angry. This is how I feel. Um, this is how I wanna feel. You know, and you can kind of say the opposite. I want to feel, I choose to feel this way. I choose to feel happiness, you know, of why. So you kind of dig down to that, you know, like anytime you have a negative emotion on the other side of it, there's a positive emotion and it's just kind of going through. And, you know, sometimes it's giving yourself the the taps or the taps here. I'm taking a few deep breaths and then saying the opposite of it, the positive. Interesting. So
1: like, for example, let's say like I have a friend that I sort of of cut off maybe a few years ago. We grew up together. Um, He was like an older brother to me, but then he sort of got to a point where I started doing my own thing. I started growing, and it got a bit competitive, and it was like I was not feeling good every time I hung out with him and you know after I, I've split off like you know I do look back and I'm like, man, like he was such a good friend, but like those little jabs and those comments he would always bring up he he would like I, I would not feel about like I'd feel bad just thinking about it and I was like, okay, maybe I could sort of be grateful but think positive and sort of be like grateful that he was you know friends see. And, and try to understand why he might feel that way is that the right approach so yeah Should... i mean
0: the, you know seeing like why like why he feels that way and then the other thing too is approaching him and saying hey um it's kind of hurtful mm-hmm. um i you know maybe you don't know it but this kind of hits me and i need to address it and it's uh you know like anything and i've kind of learned this recently too like with like relationships friendships um business and all that you have to set those boundaries and sometimes you have to like nip those in the bud as you kind of see them like hey um, that's not okay. Or, Hey, this is, this is hurtful. This is how it makes me feel it. Do you realize that makes me feel like that? And sometimes it's just subconsciously on them and their part. And they're like, Oh man, I'm so sorry. And I went through that with a friend like that, that I grew up with in Wisconsin. And he said, you know, a while back, he said, man, I I believe in you. I believe in what you're doing and all that. And we kind of had that hard to heart talk of, you know, Hey, um, I don't appreciate that. You can't do this. And it's. I'm not taking this. Um, the other thing too is a lot of people, you know, they'll compare your chapter seven to their chapter three. Um, you know, in comparisons, the the means all me all or be all and all um, to everything. Um, you can't compare anybody's chapter to your chapter or like where you walked into their chapter. Um, it's their chapter, even though we do run this race kind of together. It's a marathon, and we're all in it as individuals and it's our individual journey. We just have people sharing the journey and walking the past along with us. Yeah,
1: I think that advice is so good. Like beginning of the last year, I just started just being really honest with a lot of people in my circle. And I remember catching up with him after ghosting him for a while, cause I wanted to just come and I just had the tough conversation and I thought things were going to be better. I thought we were going to be tighter than ever. Like he sort of understood where I was coming from. I was like, yeah, let's do this again. Um, don't worry about lunch. You can get me next time. We'll catch up again soon. I'm I'm really excited. And he sort of just never got back to me. And, and, and I've tried reached out and like it's sort of, there was no closure. Like it was weird. Like I gave him the tough talk and it's just like we're off and there's zero closure at all. And now I think about it, it's like, man, like that sucks.
0: It It sucks. And life you know like sometimes like friendships relationships business stuff like sometimes you won't get closure um the closure is their actions um the actions speak louder than words um unfortunately and that's just the way the cookie crumbles um you not always gonna get that um you know like the hey I wish you the best, Uh, I'm always and forever, you're not always going to get that, sometimes it's just nobody texts you back, or writes back, or emails go unanswered, and stuff like that, and that is the closure, Um, they're in action, and they don't know how to, they don't know how to do that, or they haven't evolved on their journey, or they're still hurting, or they're still holding something, but uh, the best thing you can do is um, let go, you know, like, you know, in your heart of heart, um, that you've done everything that you can do, and you've Cleared your conscious. um, That's all you can do. Closure is, um, it's an internal thing. It's within you, you know, and you got to look at everybody, you know, it's kind of like I did this exercise uh, with a group where I said, write down everybody that's angered you, um, be like coach parents, uh, brother, sibling, bullies, um, go through and forgive each one of them individually, um, text them, write them, um even just write it down or say it out you know say it out loud and then the last person you got to write down is yourself because you got to forgive yourself for allowing those people to occupy space in your head
1: that's powerful forgiving yourself for letting like because you're right it does occupy myself and and i've tried i let it go but you're right i, I need to forgive myself for, for letting it just occupy in my
0: that's what it is. You know, it's the, kind of like the final, the final act, you know, like we're just going to say, hey, self, you know, you got to, you got to transmutate the anger, the sadness, um, you know, and then, then there's the you, you know, and if there's like a, you know, love relationship, sometimes it's releasing like that whole soul connection or that soul bond too. But sometimes that's somebody you grew up with, you know, like a, like a brother, um, brother from another mother, you got to release that soul bond too, you know, and sometimes that's the, the toughest thing, but the best thing to do. Is to you know just let them let them be them. Um, it's the most loving thing you can do.
1: That's so beautiful, Jeff. Last year you were really focused on just like yourself, that spiritual journey. What's your focus for this year? What, what's the next sort of year looking like for you? What's your micro sort of focus?
0: Oh, this, this next year. I mean, it's growth in the obviously there's growth in the business side, you know. And then still out there looking for that person, whoever meets me or whoever meets me in my energy, where I'm at, and I compliment them. You know just kind of on that journey and yeah just uh enjoying the adventures and being a free range human and helping more people obtain this lifestyle um you know helping another 10 20 30 40 50 people um, as we kind of roll out some new project uh projects with uh new money you um helping them you know with like our one investment in our general fund or you know kind of our level 100 200 300 400 deals where you could get into under credit investor to credit investor deals to enterprise level um, institutional uh, investors type type of deals um, just by going going through that stuff, but opening the doors um, and helping more people solve um, the transactional side, but also you know helping uh, holding space for uh, the transmutational uh, transformational transmutational side as well too, because I think that's so so crucial and helping people balance. Um, you know, I want to see. I'd love to see this world vibrate so high, like we hit transcendence. Um, you know, will it happen in my lifetime? I don't know, um, but I know I can, I can make that happen in you know my circle, um, just by affecting people and uh, all the people I kind of come in contact with. Um, you know, like last year, um, I I saw, I said, hey man, this could be it. I'm thankful for everything I've done, um, you know, and kind of had that talk. And I said, if I get anything more. Um, you know, they're 40, uh, 50, 60, whatever, however long it goes past this, it's all bonus time. Um, you know, I'm going to do it that much bigger, that much better, and spread my impact that much wider. Um, it's like, uh, you know, the other thing too is like the law of reciprocity when you skip a stone um, down a lake or down a river or in the ocean. Uh, those ripples go forward. It takes a little bit for those ripples to go back, but eventually they do come back. That is so beautiful,
1: Jeff. Where can people find more about you? Where can they get your book? Where can they basically just hear more of these golden gems?
0: Oh, rad. Uh, yeah, man. So like JeffLavin.net. Uh, my book is on get Um, and Then there's NewMoneyU.com. Really, wherever you're happy finding me, like I'm on all the on the all the socials, the talks the IGs, uh, the snaps, um, or YouTube, the tubes, um, wherever you're at LinkedIn. Um, I'm happy to meet you there. And really it's, you know, this is kind of my joke that I tell everybody. It's, uh, it's like peeing in the shower. It all goes down the same drains. Um, <laughs> don't be in the shower though, but <laughs> it all is, it all ends up on my phone, uh, eventually. So yeah, however you're comfortable reaching out, um, reach out, always glad to have conversations. Uh, most of the time it's me. Um, I try to keep as much of the social interactions as I can uh, one-on-one and keeping it personal rather than kind of like rolling in, uh, you know, team members and stuff like that. Um, like you'll see, you know, like the big guys have people talking on their Instagram and stuff like that. And I kind of, I like having those conversations with with the peeps and stuff like that. That uh, makes my
1: day. Tell me a bit about this sort of next chapter or this journey. You're sort of starting to create content. You're starting to write books. You're starting to communicate directly with like individuals. What's this next chapter looking like? What's the main focus with it?
0: Oh, so this next book, I mean, it's a venturepreneur. It's uh, it's all about the free human project and just enjoying enjoying life and just being in balance. Like going out and surfing every day from seven to nine and. 9 to 11, uh, doing a little bit of like work and stuff like that, 11 to 1, biking or snowboarding or something like that, you know, and just mixing up the day, Um, but really just kind of creating some kick-ass content, um, looking for, I'm either going to acquire it or uh, hire a content team here pretty soon, just to follow me around and kind of journal all the interesting stuff I do, because I think my life is normal of, uh, you know, or I think my my thought process is normal, like, doesn't everybody live like this? Or doesn't everybody think like this? No, I mean, it's kind of, it's unique. Uh, so it's worth documenting and kind of sharing, um you know, and it's being in less of a hustle and grind mode and more of a rhythm and flow. Um, and the rhythm and flow, there's a rhyme for a season and a time for a reason or something like that. Uh, <laughs> but there's, uh you know, there's a time, um, you know, same way, I've always been like, you know, a sprinter or whatever. There's a reason why professional athletes, they always need an off season. So um doing kind of my time and, you know, putting, putting the time in, getting the reps, but also making sure that I'm balancing it out with R&R and radical sabbaticals.
1: That is so freaking cool. I love the radical sabbaticals. Thank you so much for your time today, Jeff. I really appreciate it. I've learned so much. You just have so much knowledge that I've probably like scratched the tip of the iceberg. I learned so much today. It's, it's, it's insane. Like, it's like, usually I'm able to sort of understand my guests and sort of dig deep, but like, I could definitely see with you. I, I have not been able to dig that deep enough because there's just so much there. And it's just so admiring to just watch
0: this. Yeah. And if you would like, you ever want to chat again or like go down specific subjects, specific rabbit holes, like we can get specific, dude, like it's crazy. Get specific Andy yeah like,
1: like I'm surprised like we could probably go deep on like traveling snowboarding, spirituality, meditation, the journey of just figuring out you yourself as a person, how to build like an amazing circle like I could just tell that any of those topics you could probably like bounce with,
0: oh, totally, I mean, you could go for like an hour or two on that alone <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh man, you know like there's one thing that's on the agenda this year for sure, and that's burning man,
1: ah. I've always wanted to do Burning Man. It looks so freaking sick.
0: Oh, you should go, man. Oh you should go. Like, yeah. Just go. Just, just do it. Like, it's one of those things you'll never regret it, and there's something there for everyone. And yeah. it's not so much about, it's not so much about, like, the whole party scene or, you know, any of the other stuff. It's more about, you'll find what you need there. Um, you know, kind of provides that, or you'll meet the people you need to meet, and, like, you make the connections you need to make. It's kind of so cool
1: i rem- like i recently tried trying mushrooms for the very first time really oh i love
0: sugar. i love psilocybin
1: and i think i did i forgot the, the the dosage amount but it was like the recommended amount to like get a trip i guess it wasn't too much too little it was just the right amount i can't remember how it was like two grams or something i can't remember um but the feeling was like this i, I did I, I saw a bit of visual sort of movements it wasn't something that was like it wasn't My, my world felt pretty the same. It felt like I was in control, but I think the feeling I got was this sort of serotonic feel that like, everything is going to be okay. That future Andy will work things out and like, I should just be present and and things are going to be okay. That was the experience I got.
0: You know, here's the thing I'll tell you too. Like, if you think about too much about the past, um, and you go way too, you go far back into that, you'll find anger and sadness a lot of times, Mm. um, and if you think too far about the future, anxiety, lots of anxiety, you know, and being in the present, um, just in the moment, it's so pure. And, you know, one of the, one of my favorite things to do, um, like kind of like, you know, leading groups and stuff like that is take them kind of like what it feels like to be like a, you know, extreme sports athlete or a high performance athlete, because um, we all hear slow down to speed up. But on the other side of the equation, you can use the community property of that. You can speed up to slow down. Um, where have you ever had the near death experience? Like, oh my God, like I avoided this deer, or, you know, almost had that car accident. But what happened afterwards, Where everything slows down. And like all of a sudden afterwards, you have this amazing flow state. So that's something that, you know, high performance athletes um, were able to get into that, that whole state of mind. And then you can use that flow state, speed up to slow down. And then, you, you know, you're slowing down to speed up um, on the other side of it. So it's kind of a way to trick yourself into it and rapidly put yourself into that state and create flow. Interesting. Like I've been in situations where
1: I've gotten lost in, like I, got, I recently went to New Caledonia, I did this hike and I just got lost in the mountain. Like it was two days, no food, slept on the mountains, shivered, just followed the river home, freaking had to decline, a bunch of waterfalls. So I've been in really tough situations of being lost in the desert. I did this road trip into the middle of Australia. But those tough experiences, came nowhere as close as, I remember I was rushing back to Sydney to do a podcast and I was just overtaking cars on this two lane highway as I was sort of out in the desert. And there was this one overtake where it was like a two or three carriage truck and I didn't realize. And as I was overtaking it, I was approaching a hill. So I could not see if a car was coming down. And just with pure luck, you know, I was able to overtake, get ahead of it, Get to the top of hill and there was no car incoming so that was just pure luck that i was able to survive but with those other tough situations like i knew my body would be able to take it like i could probably go like it wasn't fun not having food and just hiking for two days straight in a in jungle and having no directions but I, I sort of knew that i would be able to figure it out but in that other situation of driving like i was, it was just pure luck and if it wasn't like i was just lucky i had no control and that really like shook me
0: yeah and you know what would you get afterwards from it
1: that like life is not guaranteed that you know i should start seeing what i the time i have as a bonus one no more overtaking cars so no. now when, when i can overtake cars. like like that was a big lesson of like not sort of and not rushing because there's a podcast i need to get to back in sydney
0: yeah 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 for sure i mean it's yeah in austria like sydney around sydney time man like don't you guys surf out there yeah, you know like just there's really killer sir you get bioluminescence out there um shoot last time we had bioluminescence in san diego in 2019 or 20 um i definitely microdosed and went out and surfed and it was like every time i touched the wave it was like tron i was like boop, 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 boop. Oh. and then i was like and then as i'm dropping like pallying up i'm like i'm dropping down i'm like i'm riding this amazing cloud of thunder and lightning and this is so cool but i'm like so hyped you know like uh, mushrooms like especially lion's mane and stuff like that um you know like that's less of a psilocybin based mushroom but it's more of a functional mushroom um there's actually experiments of that uh, replacing caffeine because it's more of a diet it's caffeine's a dilator uh vasodilator so people have afib and stuff like that um it causes other issues but you're gonna get the same focus power from you know mushrooms and even like microdosing in a sense too Um, functional microdosing gives you like a lot of like hype and a lot of power and a lot of like focus and you're in the zone and you kind of get put in a flow state pretty quick too
1: you know when you're talking about the past present how like future gives you anxiety past gives you sadness and anger and present is sort of that nice sweet spot and thinking back to that mushroom experience the difference between me being present now versus me being present when i was tripping was that i really trusted myself like i knew that andy present was gonna figure things out and whereas me now sober i when i am being present i still do get a bit of doubt that okay maybe current Andy is doing something and it's not going to work out um that's yeah the, the trips sort have of taught me how to really believe in myself
0: yeah believe in yourself and you want to get into like even crazier powerful equation um time's the concept that we created um, past, present, and future. Um, when you really get into like DMT or, you know, LSD is going to give you more visuals. I'll never look at Phoenician blinds the same, mm-hmm. um, but you know, like Ayahuasca, um, some of the other like DMT and some of the other more powerful ones, you'll realize that time's of concept past, pe- past, present, future, um, you know, in a 5D situation, um, they really don't exist. Um, it's just, now and it's like it's i don't know how to explain it but it's one of those things you get in a you know 5d journey um where you kind of take a out-of-body experience from it and there's uh there's space holders on uh, ceremonial people that do it kind of all over the world um it's one of the coolest things you could probably ever do um like ayahuasca journey or you know some of the other ones too um my uh one of my friends is doing uh he just went through a divorce and he's like, yeah, I'm doing a, you know, kind of ayahuasca journey. And then we're going to do like, or no, he said psilocybin and then like a little bit of MDMA, um, just to raise the serotonin up and stuff like that too. Um, that's another, you know, like it's one you don't want to abuse, but it's one that you can really, um, bring yourself back up around there too. Um, especially if, after you do like psilocybin and stuff like that. And it's great to have you know, your proper space holders and stuff like that. And don't get me wrong. Like I do, I do some sneaky retreats like that, that I don't tell people, you know, like in the circle of the super circle of people that I know that want to have like a plant-based medicine um, retreat and stuff like that. We kind of do those and put those together um, and like rent an Airbnb and, you know, have our space holders and stuff like that and bring them in. Um, just to kind of have a cool journey. Um, it's a internal journey, but also you have a, you know, external with like everybody you're kind of around and stuff like that. And it's, uh, all high vibing, um, kind of like a mini, mini mastermind burning man, I guess it's super fun though. But you always, you leave those things just refreshed, um, and reset, um, much, you know, like doing those things. Like once a year is a good time for a reset. Like we all kind of need to reset and just, you know, like you turn your phone off and reset your phone. Um, if you reset your computer, um, you kind of have to reset your brain and stuff like that too sometimes.
1: The moment when you brought up that 5D experience, the, the thing that flashed into my brain was like my, like my whole future. It just like literally just flashed as you mentioned that. It's like, whoa, like everything in the future sort of may or may not be already laid out. And it's like. Like, I can't really control what's gonna happen. All I can be is just present and just appreciate what's happening because it's all gonna go the way it's laid out. So it's like, it's not like I can't do something drastic to change my destiny. All I can do is just be like a present, sort of be present in my vessel and sort of really go along with this journey that my body is gonna take me to and, and not be worried about the future. It's like, Well, when you're in a train, you're not worried about where the train's going to get to you. So just try to sit in the train and enjoy the view. know, that the train is going to get to where it needs to go.
0: Yep, exactly. The train's going to go and, you know, it'll get there when it gets there. You know, it's, uh, everything's going to be okay. As the saying goes.
1: When you do these experiences, like after the mushroom experience, I remember like the next day, my brain felt like stretched out. It was, I, I was a bit uh, less focused and you're probably like super self-aware. So you can tell when you're down, when you can tell when you're exhausted. Um, do you sort of just take, you, you sort of expect to take the next few days off and sort of know that the experience, your experiences worth? you sort of losing three or four days out of your...
0: Yeah, you're going to lose like a little bit of days also too, but also it's, you got to like, that's the other thing of doing it like with the placeholder, like with uh, people who specialize in that because you're depleting your body of, you know, certain nutrition and certain things. So you just use supplement based on that, um, mm. to bring your body up, like, you know, like nootropics or, you know, like, dude, like I got a whole, like, I probably have like 10 different supplements that I take like daily in here, you know, that's like measured out specifically for like my body, you know, from like Adaptimax cool. to you know, 11 elevated NRF twos and stuff like that. So like, you're just bringing your body back into balance. You're taking out a balance, um, with psilocybin, cause it's a little bit of, you know, a poisoning to your body, but also it's giving your whole mind and everything like that a reset and it's plant-based medicine. So it's doing it, but then you're going to go take, um, what you're depleting yourself from. And you're going to re-add that, um, you know, with like natural supplements and stuff like that. And then I'll, uh, I'll save you the three or four days. Um, but also it's good to unplug for that time too, you know, yeah. put, put the tech away and put all the stuff away and, you know, just go out and be in nature and do stuff in nature and don't worry about running a seven eight figure nine figure ten figure company um you know like there's a reason why google executives and you know a player ceos and stuff like that go to birdie man yeah you know because they turn off their brains or you know like you don't you're not really turning off your brain but you're what it is is you know like our souls have a way of kind of going on our journey and it's realigning your mind and soul with your body and like connecting all three of those together and that's probably why you know like you're out of you're out of balance but you're feeling that reconnection of the three of those coming together but when you feel the three of those kind of coming together um what you do feel is kind of like a state of you will feel like transcendence like where you're like wow this is this is great like you just feel like balanced like life's good wusa, you know
1: Yeah, so right like i've heard stories about like elon Musk going to like burning man um, how Eric Smith, the the previous CEO of Google, met Larry Page and Sergey, like like it's like a lot of like Burning Man is like, like a thing for like these tech like people, these sort of entrepreneurs, and and which is crazy because it's it's so juxtaposed. It's like the complete opposite place you would think you'd see those people. Um, man, I, I love the fact how you have all those freaking supplements, Jeff. Wh- what's your thoughts on things like? tap water and fluoride and tap water eating too much meats broccoli sprouts like all these different so
0: <laughs> you know that's that's a journey that we all kind of have to go um down for ourselves um you know i like tap water as fluoride and stuff like that so but i come from a generation that drank from the hose mm. <laughs> so i mean it's you know it's balanced and stuff like that like you can't always drink ph balanced water not everybody has like one of those kangen machines that they can put and you know, their thing or bring with them everywhere. Um, you know, it's that's you treat your body like a Ferrari and you run on certain fuels, you know, like high octane fuels, you're going to constantly have to have that supply with you because your body is going to adjust to that. Yeah. But like Laird Hamilton said, he's like, I'm like a diesel truck. Cause a diesel, um, diesel, you, you can run diesel, kerosene's diesel. You can run waste motor oil. You can run other stuff. You can run other sources of fuel, um, technically cause they're still diesel. So if you treat your body like that, you can do that. Um, TB 12, um, you know, like look at what he does all TB 12 that diet is, is just the perfect thing or not diet uh, regimen. That's perfect for Tom Brady. That's a hundred percent of like what works for Tom Brady. Um, there's a, one of the first biohacking books out there. Um, you know, in my opinion it's called eat right for your blood type. So it's going down that, you know, and like looking at, you know, what meets work for you, you know, like, yeah, you know, like sometimes you got to get some processed stuff here and there. You can always get like the farm to table or, you know, hunt for stuff. Um, We can't always do that. That's totally okay. Um, You know, and there's certain vegetables and certain fruits and certain things that are inflammatory and anti-inflammatory for our bodies, but that's all, that's all up to us for the individual, you know, individual. And then there's supplementation and, you know, stuff that we can take. And then there's other things like activation of natural pathways. And, um, you know, it's all, it's all our own unique journey, um, of self-discovery of what works best for our body and what optimizes us best. But what works for me, um, might not work for you. You know, it's just, just different genetics. And I think we're one in 400 trillion or some individual makeup that makes us so unique and different. So it's just knowing what, uh, makes you the best year.
1: You're amazing, Jeff. This was so fun. Like I, I, I got like a full pay of just questions and, and notes and, and, and I think you've got me at my limit. Like usually like I'm at a point where like I can't think of the next question and I, it's like, I'm not real. I'm usually not in a situation where there's so much to dig but I just, my brain is tired and, and I can't find the next thing to dig into, which is- Oh, it's which, all good. I'm, I'm so happy. Like it's it, this is such a rare opportunity.
0: Yeah, oh I'm stoked to hear that, man. That's what it's all about. I mean, that's that's why I'm here, you know, make people happy and you know, um, just shift, um, shift stuff and um shift the the pentagram and stuff like that and make the world a better place if it's gotta be one, you know, one on one like we're doing here. And my sole purpose is uh connecting, uh connecting uh connecting one on one, connecting uh audiences and stuff like that, speaking on stages and connecting uh with information and connecting with others it just comes naturally and it's um why why i'm on this uh this rock going around this uh you know the bright shiny star
1: thank you so much chef i'm so excited like the clips like i'm so excited for my tips to just teams to just chop it up and because so <laughs> <many
0: frickin' topics, laughs> there's and gonna just... be so many shorts <laughs> yeah of all heck yeah i'm stoked
1: thank you so much chef i really appreciate the time like i think the audience is gonna love this I want them to all buy your book. Like I want to now. I'm going to go ahead and, and buy your book and then go through um, everything that you've written. And then I'm excited for the new book that you're sort of putting together as well, Jeff.
0: Oh yeah, the the book I wrote is like I kept it under eighty pages on purpose so somebody could just be like, you know, and like take it and apply it. Um, and then there is a there is a call to action. Um, you know, a couple of them. Like and then we did some three Bs with it, but um, don't jump on. I mean, you jump on the funnel if you want to jump on it, but. You got my contact, um, just reach out, you know, kind of like, that's like the way I left it open um, with the book where it's like, yeah, reach out to my team. But, you know, me and you, we got like that one-on-one. So, you know, you got, my, uh, you got my email, you got my LinkedIn, you got my institute, like slide into to any one of those DMs. Um, yeah, and reach out. And then the next one, it's, it's more of, uh, this last one was the what and the why, and this next one is more of the how. So if somebody can take my book and become a billionaire, I'm stoked, but there's going to be a lot of fun stuff that we can kind of offer on the back end, you know, for courses and assistance and stuff like that, too. That's awesome, Jeff.
1: Thank you so much for your time today. I've learned so much. This has been so fun. Uh, I didn't know what to expect going to this call, but this was so cool and I really appreciate your time. Um, everyone. Yeah. If you guys made it this far thank you for your time for watching this video please reach out to jeff please send him a message on all his platforms just to thank him and just to say hi
0: okay yeah. yeah thanks so much andy i appreciate you man and uh yeah thanks everyone for uh, watching if you've made it this far
1: if you guys made it this far, thank you so much for your time i really really appreciate it please drop a review on apple and spotify i've been going through all the reviews i'd love to get your feedback I um, mean, if you guys have any questions at all, hit me on Instagram, message me at Andy AndyKumar. I'd love to say hi. And yeah, I'll see you guys next week with another episode of the podcast.
2: Rad.